know it's always been the Lord's intention not to be the only giver. See, when God gave his son so that we could become like him, there's a large portion of Christianity that does not know how to give to God. They don't know how to listen. They don't know how to be still. See, God doesn't need a lot of things. He just needs us. I think it's really important to learn how to wait on the Lord. Close your mouth. Open your ears. And let Him do what He's going to do in your heart. Because when the weight of the Spirit of God presses on your heart in those moments, there's more going on inside of you than you realize. Sometimes there's an entire reconstruction of everything that you are. And the only thing you feel is peace. You need to have time in your day, in your life, to sit silent before the King. To learn how to hear Him learn how to feel him there's so many people that just know about him and all they want to do is talk about what they know that's okay but it's so much better when you encounter somebody who's possessed with him and they don't have to say a thing and just being around them makes you want to change that's the goal. There's times where Jesus showed up into places. He never said a word. And the, the, the most wrecked people ran to him and bowed before he ever said anything. See, we need to focus on the lifestyle of carrying the presence of the Lord. I hate to say it this way, but God's not impressed with our Bible studies. <laughs> There's no amount of information you're going to extract from that word that he doesn't already thoroughly know. <laughs> Just because it's a revelation to you doesn't mean he's surprised at what you found in the scriptures. What, he, what, what astounds him is your ability to believe. faith that you have in that place where it just causes him to go, wow. They actually love me enough to believe me, not just to repeat what I'm saying. You got a lot of repeaters, very few believers. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you're walking in faith. I'm glad you're saved, but the same way you got saved is the same way you're supposed to live your, your life in trust and faith and surrender, which means you don't know anything except Him. It's the irony of knowing nothing, but yet knowing Him who is everything. You know, most churches get real uncomfortable if there's five, six minutes of silence because they don't know what to do with it. 
my Bible says there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. I mean, can you imagine that? All the angels, all the glory of God, the splendor, the earthquakes, the fire, the thunder, just silent. We need to know that part of what God's doing in those moments. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. that there would be a realization amongst the people in this room how much it actually costs you for them to be critical of you. You set people free to doubt, to lie, to believe, to be honest. Know you to pursue you to run from you to hide from you but it costs you everything to give us that freedom may we use it to your glory not to our religious self-advantage pray for a revival in the heart of your people that think that they know you that you're trying to take them to a deeper level that they're not satisfied with what you've done yesterday or the day before be satisfied with you every day. We love you, Abba. We thank you. We ask for the word of God to be fresh and alive upon our ears and our hearts, that you might be glorified in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Amen. I hope you guys were blessed. Thank you, guys. If you weren't and you don't like anything of what just happened, I won't apologize, but you can pray for us that we'll be as spiritual as you are, and we'll get there someday. Amen? Everybody's a critic until it's time for them to start their own church, Then they're the ones getting crucified. I figured out a long time ago you can't please everybody. That's impossible. So we just try to please Jesus. Amen. Anybody blessed this morning? Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you're first time here, welcome. We, we're glad you're here. We have um, coffee for you over there. and We actually have bathrooms you can use, so that's good. You're welcome to those. Um, you don't have to hold it and feel awkward. If you need to go, go and come back and be blessed, right? Um, I want to, I would just make a little quick announcement. Brother Jody, I've known him a long time. Um, how long have y'all been down there? 20 years? Yeah, 21 years. Um, so they've been working hard for the gospel while we just complain about it and uh, tell everybody else how they should be doing it. Um, and I've, I've been down there a bunch of times and seen their life and, I'm, and it's, it's not easy and and just because they give all to Jesus doesn't mean they don't have difficulty. And, uh, and so, but I, I wanted to open up tonight. Normally we have discipleship classes, uh, meetings. I don't like calling classes because discipleship is technically not a class. But nonetheless, we have meetings. We get together. We talk. We, we fellowship. We ask questions. And so uh, he's agreed to come tonight and just do a Q&A tonight. So if anybody's interested, you can come back at, uh, what time are we doing that? Five, 
five, five o'clock. Five o'clock, we'll be back here. Um, it'll be real laid back, open forum type thing. So bring all of your difficult, hard, hermeneutical, theological debate issues, and he'll be happy to just work through them all. And uh, if not, Rama can help him out. I mean, that's what her name means. So, you know, um, I'm joking. I'm not going to put you on the spot like that, bro. <laughs> Keep your theology to yourself. But if you want to come hear about what they're doing or if you guys have questions or, or, or you know, things about what's going on in Mexico or how to sustain a 20-year, 21-year life on the mission field or in your own life and what that looks like and what it takes and or even just the questions you might have. And maybe if you don't have any, we'll just hear him share from his heart in an unscripted manner and, and we'll go from there. Does that sound like a plan? You're welcome to that, 5 o'clock. Um, if you don't want to come, that's fine too. Um, but you're more than welcome. So, uh, bro, come on and bless us this morning. We're glad you all are here. Good morning. If you would, uh, go ahead and pull up Matthew 13, please. And uh, after that, we'll go to... Zechariah chapter 12. We are here a little bit incomplete today, kind of like a man down. Uh, do y'all want to stand up? I'm here with my family, most of them. They're the tall ones. My wife, Rama, Joseph, and Faith couldn't be here with us. Um, you guys have grown a lot since we were here last time. It was pre-COVID, so... Uh, we're a family of four. We live in the mountains of Mexico, and basically what we do is we try to convert people who have somewhat of a slave-like mentality into sons, and it kind of started with the pattern in John chapter 6 with the little boy with the fishes and the loaves. What we're trying to do is way beyond us. Like what we're trying to do specifically, but you as well, and anybody who actually lives on the earth and wants to serve God, it's beyond us. But all God asks for us is for us to surrender. So uh, we're missing faith today because she has stepped out into kind of her own life and she's studying and things like that. But, you know, uh, when she first left, I'm sharing something for a specific reason about this. When my daughter first left, we would uh, we would go to eat supper at night, and uh, out of habit, my wife would put out four plates and four sets of silverware, and she wouldn't even realize it. She would make enough food for four people. Just a little bit left over. And uh, we would sit down to pray and faith wouldn't be there. And I just want you to know that there is a place at the Father's table for you. And you're absolutely irreplaceable. I'm not, there's nothing that you can do that can take that away from God and his love for you. I need a Kleenex, sorry. You guys are irreplaceable. God loves you. In all of eternity, 
everything that God has done in creation and in his existence has been to draw you to himself. So, let's get into it. I want to talk today about, well, first of all, thank you for allowing us to be here. It's a great honor and a privilege to be here with you today. Um, there's, there's some things that God laid on my heart. There are things that I've been sharing down in Mexico where we live, uh, but I also believe it's relevant for you guys here today. I want to share about the parable of the sower. Now, I grew up in church for the most part, and anytime someone would go to read about read the passage of the parable of the sower, I would be like, oh great, here we go, because it's such a long passage, right? <laughs> Couldn't you just preach on John 3.16 or something today? Uh, would you go ahead and pull up Matthew 13? I don't remember exactly what verse it is where it starts. 18. Jesus shares a parable with his disciples and whoever else is listening about what the kingdom of God is like, about what the work of God is like. Uh, I'm not going to read through the entire passage because I have a lot I want to share today, but it starts in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. He says that the sower went out to sow seed, and the seed fell in four different places. He said it, some fell, let's see, let me get to my notes, along the way or along the path. It depends on what version you read, but it said some fell along the way and the birds of the air plucked it up or ate it up. And then some seed fell in the stony places. And although it sprang up, it didn't have good dirt. It didn't take root and it dried up in the heat of the day. And then some some fell in, in among the thorns and uh, got choked out. The seed is the gospel. The seed is the word of God. But some of the seed fell on good ground where it produced life. 30, 60, 100 fold. I'm not like a Bible scholar, don't know Greek, Hebrew or Aramaic, but I've been a lifetime Christian. I've seen a lot of people come and go. It breaks my heart. When I was a little boy, they came into, we, we had a broken home, and they came into our house, or they came into our home, and they shared the gospel with us, and they took us to church, and then something happened inside of me, and it took root. And that was, I don't know, like 30-something years ago. And it continues, although there are dry seasons, although there are difficult times, it continues to give me life. There was something that happened in us, and my brother Chico, for those of you who met Chico, is my brother. There's something that happened in us that was supernatural. And my question today is, and this is going to sound sacrilegious, why does the gospel not work? 
why does the gospel appear to fail at times? Why does it appear that in church settings, things are at times dysfunctional? What is the whole purpose of what we're doing today? The whole purpose of what we're doing today is life. The function, the purpose of the seed is to give life. That was Jesus' whole point when he came to the earth, was to give us life. And not only to give us life in abundance, but that that would grow and multiply in the world around us. So, what are some reasons that you've seen? Like, I would like for you guys to interact if you don't mind. You can raise your hand or just speak out. What are some things that you've seen that have caused people to get discouraged and fall? The church. People in the church. Maybe moral indiscretions from a leader causes disillusion, disillusionment, causes disorientation in the believers. We've heard that and seen that story repeated over and over again in the, in, in the public eye. Anyone, anyone have another one they want to share? Traumatic things. Hanging around the wrong people. Those, those would be like the birds of the air, I think. Like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, music, media, movies. Those things can steal the Word of God from our hearts. Selfishness. Which is the opposite of surrender. There's one absolute absolute requirement for us to receive from God, and it's surrender. And that's the opposite of selfishness. Anyone else want to share something? Striving. When we're striving, and that really hits home with something I'm about to share. It's when we're pushing and striving and plowing, and it seems like nothing good is produced. What was the other one back there? Religion. Religion. That needs like its own week to talk about. <laughs> the th- we were talking about it last night. We had supper with Chad and Mr. Hila. Like the acts of religion, what in a shell should bring you closer to God can actually take you further away from Him. Because it's about you. It's about what you're doing. It's about you checking off the boxes and you doing the thing. And it ends up being just the work of the flesh. And this thing that I'm talking about is something that's supernatural that happens by the grace of God. It's called salvation. Nicodemus was talking to Jesus and he said, how can a man be born again? And that's the question. And it's only by a supernatural work of God in our lives. Um, I've been through a few different things that have, that caused my, they were like, kind of perked my ears up when I heard a couple of terms or when I read these things. Um, one is PTSD. A lot of people suffer from traumatic events and in that process they get, they get confused and they get things mixed up about who God is and what part he played in it or why did he not stop it or where, how does that all work together? 
Another one is moral injury. These things are like things that cause us to have guilt and condemnation. And guilt and condemnation are some of the strongest forces to actually keep you away from God. And most, most of the time, the only time you hear about moral injury or things like PTSD is in relation to soldiers or people who've been on the battlefield. And, but actually in civilian life, PTSD, which are the after effects of having gone through traumatic events, whether it was when you were a little child up to now, as adults, for those of us who are adults, uh, moral injury, when something has happened to your conscience, our conscience is actually the voice of God speaking to us. It's the Spirit of God in us. Conviction in the conscience that God gives us is one of the greatest gifts that he gives because that's his way of talking to us. That's his way of leading us and guiding us. And those things do so much to stop the work of the gospel in us. They do so much to do what? To make our hearts hard. I don't want to focus on the sower today. I don't want to argue and, you know, have a discussion about the sower or whether or not he's good. Let's just say he's good. Or who exactly the sower is, whether it's God or the preacher or the evangelist or whatever. Let's not focus on the sower and let's not focus on the seed because I think we can all agree that the seed is good. But you know, just because the seed is good and perfect, which is the word of God, just because the seed is good and perfect doesn't mean it's going to function in your life. Let's focus on the ground today, the dirt. Because that's what really matters, whether or not the seed takes root, sprouts, and grows, and produces life. In Mexico, where we live, uh, sometimes they build houses out of mud. Dirt can become so hard, so compact, that you can use it as mortar to build a house. So just because the seed's good doesn't mean it's going to function in your life. Amen. The first few times that I planted a garden, it didn't work out. <laughs> I'm not going to say that my wife would mock me, but she would ask me questions. <laughs> like, what's up? You're out here turning the dirt over, you're planting the seed, and you know that we're going to leave and no one's going to be here to take care of it, make sure it grows and produces fruit. And I would be like, yeah, I know, but I still, there's just something in me, I want to plant a garden. And there were several times when it just didn't work. But since then, it's been a long process, I have actually gotten gardens to work before, where we got to eat the fruit of it. As a matter of fact, uh, this last month, we just finished a well because we planted an orange orchard out behind our house, and uh, it's doing really well. 
So we're learning about planting the seed and seeing growth and seeing life happen and waiting for the harvest. Actually, one time, uh, this was several years back, I was in India, and a guy gave a prophecy. He was like, you're going to make things grow in the wasteland and in the desert where, the, where things are not supposed to grow. And I think for us in this world that we live in, when we step into our calling in God and what God has for us, wherever it's at, whether it's here, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's at your workplace, at school, at play, wherever it's at, when we're walking in God and, and with God's grace on our lives, it's like Chad said a while ago, that's just going to naturally touch the world around us. You can walk into the darkest places, whether it be a prison, and you can take God's light in there with you. And we've seen so many people get touched and the power of God change their lives, even in that setting, which is one of the worst settings you can imagine on this earth. But it's not because we did everything perfect. It's because of God's supernatural grace. There is a supernatural, sovereign, special grace from God that we need for the kingdom of God to function the way it's supposed to. It said finally that the seed fell on good ground. And when the seed fell on the good ground, it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So you guys can go back and look that over. You know, I don't want to put a bunch of pressure on you today and be like, hey, we're going to read through these verses and then we're going to have prayer time and you're going to come forward and then we're going to, like, this whole thing's going to happen right now. That's not what this is for. This is more, this is more than just a moment or like a prayer, sit, uh, a prayer session. This is like a lifestyle change. Something that we can hide in our hearts and pray and meditate on it and let it begin to take root and function and change little things, the little details about the way we live life. Give us confidence to take the next step. Give us confidence to keep planting, even though the first few times the garden didn't work out. Give us confidence to keep plowing, even though it seems like we're going and going and going and going and we're doing and doing and doing. And like he said a while ago, it seems like we're not seeing the good from it. We're not getting to see the harvest. We're talking about something supernatural. Just because someone says a prayer at the altar or goes to a crusade and prays a prayer does not mean that all, all of a sudden, automatically, they're just saved. It doesn't mean everything's just automatically going to work out. That's not the way it works. It's more than a creed. It's more than something that you repeat. One of the worst things that actually has ever happened in history was Constantine's conversion, or so-called conversion, because he went around with the sword and was conquering all of these places, and with the sword, he was forcing people to say a prayer or to, quote-unquote, become Christian. 
The only problem was is they were saying something out of their mouth just because they didn't want to be slaughtered and nothing had changed or happened in their heart. And we're talking about the dirt today. We are the dirt, primarily our heart. And what kind of condition is our heart in on a daily basis? Is it hard? Is it hard like the mortar in between those bricks? Or is it fertile? Is it loosened? What does loosened dirt look like? It looks like brokenness. And the things in life that <laughs> we don't want to go through, for some reason they all work together. And if we let it, it becomes a way of brokenness in us. And if we let go of the hatred and the bitterness and the pride and the guilt, it, became, it becomes a form of humility that receives the word, that receives the good seed. And then God reigns on it. And it sprouts and it grows and it produces life. And it is a process and it takes time. Back to the thing of religion. What we share with the people we work with is that it's not about what group you claim. It's not about what political party you claim. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about the acts or the specific things of religion that you do. You can do a 40-day fast and be no closer to God than the day you began. Fasting. What's most important is who you are. What determines who you are? What determines who you are is what seed you've hid in your heart and allowed to grow and reproduce. Jesus said, you can tell what type of uh, tree it is by the fruit that it bears. And when you let the word of God into your heart, and you let it take root, it's going to produce good. And who we are, and allowing that to be reconciled with God, allowing the grace of God to touch us and change us, and change those words that people have spoken over us since we were little. We were white trash. People used to talk bad about us. People used to talk bad about our family. People used to talk bad about our parents. Um, some different members of our family were adopted. We don't even know, like we can't even make out a, uh, uh, what do you call it, the tree? Family tree. We can't even make a family tree out because it has so many dead ends. We were like the white trash of the neighborhood. That's what they used to call us. But there were people who reached out to us with the gospel. And I heard it in my soul one day when God said, you're my treasure. And it changed us. It changed our, our family for eternity. Now, it wasn't like an instantaneous thing that happened where from 
this moment to the next, everything was perfect in my life. And it's still not. Even today, there's great things going on in Mexico. But there's also things that we're struggling with. There's opposition. There's things that want to distract us. There's things that want to provoke us. There's things that want to disqualify us from the race that we're running. And that's why it's so important, like Chad said earlier, to have a continual, consistent time with God, to have personal time alone with Him so that He can reconfirm to you who you are. You're my son and you're my daughter. You're my beloved son and daughter. You're special. You're my treasure. You have a place at my table. You're absolutely irreplaceable. You have a place in this world and you have a calling and it's something that no one else can do. It's something that's specifically only for you. I mean, I'm standing here in front of you guys today and it's an honor and everything, but tomorrow when you go out into the world or when we leave after a while, you're going places that no one else will go. You're going places that the pastor won't go. You're going places that the worship leader won't go. You're going places that the evangelist won't go because you are the worship leader. You are the pastor. You are the evangelist. You are the teacher. You're the person who's supposed to be walking in the light and the grace of God into the world around you. And it could be so close as to your home. It could be with your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or your neighbor. Could you pull up uh, Zechariah chapter 12, please? Verse 10. And to go into these places of darkness, what we need is a supernatural touch of God. We need the grace of God on our lives. We need something that I think nowadays has kind of been pushed to the side. It's this word called the anointing. You can, I've heard people preach about it. You can walk into a home. You can walk into a business place. You can walk into a classroom. You can walk into a church. And there's a culture there. There's an atmosphere there. Because the person or persons have brought have set that tone or set that temperature like i realize it looks kind of funny because i'm up here with a jacket on right now but i'm like always cold all right <laughs> don't mess with the thermostat because everybody will be hot if you adjust it to my to my needs uh, but when you step into certain places there's like light and life there or there's darkness and bondage there are holy anointings that come from God and the, the Spirit of God that we carry. And there are unholy anointings that we carry that influence people. We can influence people both directions. It's kind of like when we cross the border, they are so strict about the way that we cross the border. And they're so concerned about what we carry. I think this whole situation that we just went through with the pandemic kind of proves that point. There have been times crossing the border where missionaries have been turned back because their truck had cow manure on it. And they're so afraid that we're going to transport a disease from a ranch in New Mexico up here to the States. 
Because we carry things. Spiritually, we carry things. I've been around people who were so charismatic and had such an ability to influence the people around them. And sometimes that was used for good and sometimes that was used for bad. You hear about it with music. There are musicians who just have this supernatural gift, but it's not always the good one. It's not always from the Holy Spirit. And there's a calling from God for all of us to walk in His Spirit. For us to find ourselves before Him on a daily basis and to let the anointing of God infuse us, to let the Spirit of God settle in on us so that when we go places, we carry light and we carry life. I knew someone like this. When we first met, when we first went to Mexico, there was, I mean, we didn't know anybody. You know, we went to be missionaries. And it's kind of hard to go somewhere and think that, okay, I'm going to spend my life here. And you don't really know anybody. You don't really have, like, a connection. Unless God already gave you something supernaturally, which for me, he did not. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be in ministry, but... I had no history. I had no care for the people where we went. One of the hardest things for our family, specifically my wife, was leaving the people where we were from, leaving our families. Because there was that, that, that bond and that sense of connection or whatever. So out in the villages in the beginning days when we went to Mexico, I'll just call him my friend. I met this guy. He was about my age. And he just like, he had light. From the first time, I sat in a service with him and listened to him play the guitar and sing. He had such a sincerity. Like he just had this disposition about him that drew you to him. You just wanted to be around him. And immediately, that guy was like my friend or my brother. And it was like a spiritual connection that happened. And he just, every time you would see him, I mean, he lived in poverty. Just a really difficult life. But you always could see just like this smile on his face. And after, over a few years, we got to know each other. He had two little girls. His oldest girl was the same age as my daughter. We would go out to villages together. We would hike together. We would you know, preach and sing together. And then one day I showed up at his village and he was gone. And I asked the people, what happened? What happened to my friend? And no one would say, because it was a very difficult thing. And after several years, eventually people opened up, you know, discreetly and shared with me that His wife and his brother who lived next door had ran off together and, and abandoned the two little girls with him. And uh, because of the trauma, because of the hurt, because of the difficulty and just the disgrace of the whole thing, he fled his village and went to Mexico City. And he was lost. 
left the two babies to be raised by the grandmother, his brother and his wife were gone off in another place. And to, to deal with the hurt and the pain of what was done to him, he began drinking, became an alcoholic, and just really gave up on life to the point that he ended up in this sewage treatment area in Mexico City where basically no one lived, and it was like a trash dump. And... In Mexico City, it's high altitude and it gets cold and he lost all of his money. He ran out of every, um, he lost his motivation to live and to work and he just stayed, hung out at the trash dump and he said at night he would sleep with the dogs just to keep himself warm when it was cold. And he was gone for years. And then he said one day, God spoke to him. And he said, I, you're my beloved son, and I want you to come home. But you got to forgive. He said, you got to forgive your brother and your wife what they did to you. <laughs> he said, I can't. can't do it. So this is a whole nother level. We're not just talking about like he read a Bible verse one day. God himself spoke to him. But his heart was hard. And it was bitter. And it was angry. Because of what other people did. He didn't do it. It's what others did to him that led to where he ended up in the garbage dump, sleeping with dogs. He said, I can't forgive. The PTSD or the, the trauma from it all, and then the moral injury of him knowing that he was violating his own conscience and just throwing his life away, abandoning, also abandoning his daughters the way his wife did, and just the bitterness and the animosity and the hatred toward his brother and his wife. But God kept coming and God kept speaking to him. With his, arm, with his hand extended to lift him up out of the garbage, out of the trash. Um, could you turn to chapter 12? Zechariah 12. Verse 10. The Word of God's all around us. We have it in our hands in the form of the Bible. We have it in the spoken word when people speak to us and witness to us and prophesy to us. And sometimes God himself speaks to us, to our conscience. And his spirit... It's, it's almost like His Spirit is just hovering over us. But as long as we have a hardened heart, we're not going to be able to receive it. 
He says, in, in that day, there shall be a great, uh, could you reverse it back to verse, okay, there it is. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. God wants to pour out a spirit of grace in prayer or intercession or supplication. He wants to pour out his spirit on us. I realize that this is a prophecy to the Hebrew people in ancient times, but this is the way God works. It's an example of exactly how God works, and it's a foretelling of Jesus' coming. It says, I'll pour out a spirit of grace and supplication, and then they'll see. Until God's spirit of grace comes upon us, we can't actually see. We don't get it. You can go out in the streets and you can witness to someone all day long, but until the Spirit of God does something to them and allows them to get the revelation of Jesus' love for them, the actual work of God doesn't actually happen. It says, in the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured out and they'll look on me whom they've pierced. Jesus was pierced for us. Jesus died on the cross for us. And they will mourn for him. People, when the Spirit of God comes, when the Spirit of grace comes, when it's, it's revival. People will weep and they will mourn. And supernatural things will happen within them. When my brother first got saved... We immediately took him to a revival down in Pensacola. Dude was hard. His heart was as hard as could be. His, the life he had lived, he had been shot, he'd been in and out of jail, he'd been slinging dope since he was 13. In the very first service down at that revival, when the Spirit of God came on him, the guy who had been preaching steps out into all of these people. There are hundreds of people waiting to be prayed for. And he goes straight to my brother and he lays hands on him. And like my brother's... It's big dude. And he just flips him over backwards. And he's just on the ground like convulsing like this for, I don't know, maybe half an hour or something. And he had never even seen anything like that. He had never been in a charismatic service. The church that we went to when we were kids was Baptist. And when he got up, I asked him later that night, I'm like, what happened? What was going on? He's like, dude, it was like I could feel electricity all inside of me. And it was just pulling out all of the stuff that had happened to me since I was a little boy. That spirit of grace absolutely changed my brother's life that day. That spirit of grace absolutely changed Luis's, my friend's life, excuse me, in Mexico City because he finally let go and surrendered. He surrendered his anger, his bitterness, his hatred, and said yes. You can have me back, God. God picked him up out of the trash, out of the garbage dump, brought him back to his home village, reestablished him, filled him again with that spirit and that light and that life. He's a full-time pastor now, and he's going around raising up new works, planting churches. And God has absolutely restored his life. 
And I'm looking forward to going back and seeing him here in a couple weeks. And I know that when I get there, he's going to have that smile on his face again. He said they will mourn. When he gets up and he tells his testimony, he just weeps as he shares his testimony about how the, God, how the Spirit of God changed him and touched him and pulled him out of that disgrace. It says they will mourn as someone mourns for their only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And that's what happened with Jesus, and that was the work of Jesus. So let's just tie it all up. What does it look like to be good dirt, to be good ground? It looks like brokenness. If you want to know what it's like, go home, take a shovel, find the toughest place in your yard, force the shovel in the ground and flip it up and turn it over. And then start to break it up. It's brokenness. What God wants for us before him is brokenness. He wants us to be broken. And then take your hand and comb through the dirt and pull out the stones. Pull out the rocks. Maybe add a little bit of fertilizer if you're really animado. And hide a seed in there and wait on the rain. And you will see it grow and you will see life. And it'll be supernatural. You'll be inside at night asleep, and the thing will sprout, and you'll come out one day, and there it'll be, a plant. And just keep taking care of it. Keep pulling the weeds, and keep that dirt loose, because heavy rains will come sometimes, and then the sun will cook it, and then it'll be hard again. But just keep working with it. Keep it broken. Keep it loose. And it'll grow into this amazing thing that gives life and bears fruit. It's brokenness. Sometimes it looks like just taking another step. Yesterday, just about every year, I try to uh, run a race in honor of my dad who committed suicide back in 2010. So yesterday I was up in the, for, in the Mark Twain forest doing a trail run, and it was a race that had aid stations. When I started out, it was real hot. So I got rid of all these layers of clothes and I left them at one of the aid stations and I was going and all of a sudden a storm blew in. The temperature dropped like 15 degrees. The wind was blowing so hard, stuff was falling out of the trees, hitting me in the head. And then this heavy rain came in and I start like going into hypothermia and shivering and my legs and everything were cramping up because it was so cold and I was like, I don't know, 15 miles in or something on the run. And at one point, I clenched up like this, and I just kind of stopped in the trail. And then I remembered, if you don't take another step, you could die of exposure right now, because <laughs> I was so cold. And that's what I had to do. I just had to take one more step and keep going. And about four miles down the road, there was the aid station, and I got relief. They gave me some shirts to put on and, a, oddly enough, a trash bag to hold the heat in. It might just be taking another step. It might just be staying present. 
A friend of mine went into special forces. He went into ranger school, and he was telling me about the day that he got tested. And uh, he said that they had been preparing for this thing for months, and they had went through sleep deprivation. They had been on a very rationed diet. And he said, basically, you're at the end. It's been calculated, and they know what they're doing with you, and you're at the end where you absolutely have no strength left. And he said it was my job to lead my company or lead my group from point A to point B through the night. And it was hours of trekking through the forest and following these navigation points. And he said, we were so done, we were, we were about to drop. It, he said, we had literally reached what they call your drop dead point. And he said, we had made it. <laughs> And he said, the commanding officer said, here's your marching orders. Here's your next, here's your next drop dead point. And they were done. Like, it was over. Like, they were ready to drop dead already. They had been going for months. They had been going all night. And the guy gives him a new set of coordinates. You got to be here by this time. And they were absolutely exhausted. He said, I just took the orders, and I just took a step and started marching. He said, I only got a couple steps down the road, and the guy yells, at, yells out at me, well done, officer. You're now a ranger. And it was just having the will to surrender and say, I'm going to keep going even though I know I can't. The two guys on the road to Emmaus that day, Jesus had just died, and they're talking about Jesus and what it all meant, and all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. They didn't even know it was him, and he was walking with them and talking with them, and it said that their hearts were burning within them, and then they got that revelation, and they saw Jesus, and they knew it was Jesus that walked with them. If you would... Bow your heads with me and let's just join together in a prayer. It's brokenness. It's taking another step. It's surrender. Even though it's not enough, the two, the two fish and the five loaves were not enough. The guy's walking on the road. Jesus had already died. It's being present. It's taking a step toward Jesus and surrendering to him. He says, come to me and you'll find rest for your soul. Because it's a supernatural work that only he can do. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for all the effort, everything that's gone into reaching us, into drawing us unto yourself. Father, I ask for your spirit of grace, a supernatural spirit of grace and prayer. I ask for something to draw us to you. God, give us the grace to let go and to surrender. 
and to let our hearts be broken so that you can reign on us, so that the word can come into us that you have for each one of us, the spoken word, the written word. Write it on our hearts, God. Put it in our minds so that others won't have to tell us, know the Lord. And we pray for your spirit to reign on us, God, and to give life in abundance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, bro. I just want to real quick, does anybody in this place not know the Lord? Anybody away from the Lord that need to get their life right with Jesus? If you just lift your hand, we're going to pray for you. If not, we're going to move on. Anybody? All right, I didn't want to leave that without giving that opportunity. You never know when you might get not get another one. Amen? Um, so I just want to just take a few seconds here and just let you guys know that um, these guys have been a tremendous blessing to us over the years, and and it means a lot more. Uh, if you know who they are, just to hear the the context of what he's talking about, because you're talking about somebody who spent 21 years in a place that I guarantee you, you probably wouldn't vacation to, let alone go, unless God called you there. And um, and it takes money, it takes resources, it takes time, it takes a lot of things. And and um, gosh, you know, one of the most impressive things, and I said this about just the most everybody that comes from that ministry up here, but one of the most impressive things to me was the the amount of distance that they would be willing to go for one person. I mean, you're driving six hours one way to preach to two people. You know, it's crazy, and diesel fuel's not cheap, you know. So uh, the gospel costs, you know, money and time and, and energy and effort. And so um, if you want to give to their ministry, are you guys okay with it making out the Freedom Ministries and putting your name in the memo? Is that how you guys want to do that? Is that good? So if you guys want to give a check, you can put Freedom Ministries on the check and then just put Jody Atchison uh, in, the, in the memo. And uh, if you want to give cash, there's some envelopes. Um, make sure you put his name on it, and then um, that way we'll know to give that specifically to him. Uh, if you want to give another way, just let me know. If you want to give online, say, hey, I gave this much money online to go to him, and I'll make sure I, I get that to him. Um, just let me know that, okay? So um, just if you want to give, if you want to bless their family and the work that they're doing down there and sow into something that is going to reap harvests of souls and people, healings and all kinds of things that are going on down there. Um, I encourage you to, to, to bless them this morning. Are you guys good? Yes. Thank you for coming. I appreciate everybody. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, the things you're doing in our hearts. We ask for a multiplication, God, of, of increase, not for selfish gain, but for selfless giving. And Lord, we just thank you for the heart that you've put in Jody and Rama and, and Joseph and Faith. We put a blessing upon them, Father, and let the peace reign upon their house and upon everything they do in touch. In Jesus' name, amen.